I'm Luna Tang. I'm Dwayne Paris. This is Clubtech Publishing Radio. Here we talk about what's happening in the publishing industry today, share stories from publishers, and discuss how we can shape the future of publishing. Clubtech Publishing Radio is brought to you by Clubtech. Welcome to the second episode of Clubtech Publishing Radio. I'm Luna Town in Berlin, Germany, and I'm Dwayne Paris here in sunny Florida in the U.S. Today <laughs> we are having Mr. Robert Bench with us to talk about publishing in China. Robert Bench is the president of the Bench International Group Limited, with a focus on international publishing, startup, and turnaround management. He is also the current editor for the Publishing Research Quarterly Journal. It's our pleasure to have you here with us, Robert. My honor and pleasure, and thank you for inviting me. For our audience who are not familiar with you, would you tell us more about yourself and your extensive work experience in publishing? Well, I'll start by saying I was 14 when I came to the United States as an immigrant from Germany. I attended Johns Hopkins University, and after graduation, I joined Georg Thieme Verlag in Stuttgart to help launch a new journal, which was the best of German medical literature in the English language, to be distributed globally. After two years of that work, I came back to the United States and worked for a small medical publisher, and then joined McGraw Hill. As the editorial director of the international department, from there I moved to Harper and Row as vice president in charge of the total international operation, export, publishing, and foreign rights. Then I went to Stanford Business School to get professional management lessons learned, and from there I moved on to Springer Verlag, New York, and was the president of the subsidiary of Springer. From there, moved on to Macmillan, and then Maxwell came along, and I found myself out of a job at a bad time during a recession. So I started a master's degree program and a center for publishing for New York University, and I did that for 12 years.、And、then, due to the illness of my wife, I had to retire and be the caretaker, and I launched Bench International, where I would organize, create. Present three-day and five-day management seminars in all parts of the world, but I really focused on China. And in the last four years, I've run at least four seminars in China, and six seminars in New York for China, as well as Argentina, Brazil, South Korea, and United Arab Emirates. Then, due to the unfortunate Selection of Trump as president, I could not continue to go to Sharsha, and we had conflicts. But now I'm looking forward to year next year to re-establish relationships with China and the rest of the world. That's a very brief summary of been there, done that. <laughs> it's quite, it's fairly intriguing. Then I, I just wanted to ask. What brought you to China? What's the reason behind that? When I was on the board of directors of the Association of American Publishers, they wanted to send two attorneys to Beijing to control piracy. 
And I said, that's not the way we're going to solve the problem. And they said, well, how, what do you see the solution? I said, China does not even have private property. So what is intellectual property? Well, I think what we need to do is organize a seminar in China to help publishers learn about intellectual property, copyright, trademarks, and patents. So I took a delegation of three attorneys and at Beijing Normal University in 1996, my first visit to China, we had 66 publishers attend the seminar. The Chinese government asked me to come back the next year and we had 130 publishers. Last year for the same seminars, which we've been running every year on copyright, patents and trademarks, now including digital publishing, we had 320 publishers attend the seminar. That's how I got to be familiar, learn, and I learned more about China than I think the Chinese learned about copyright. That's great. So on to follow up on that, Robert, would you give us a brief uh, intro to China as you've learned um, as far as the the demographics in the publishing area? I think one of the single major challenges is that we of the Western world have a difficulty understanding what a country of 1.3 billion people speaking the same language, being in the same country represents in relation to the rest of the world. Yes, there's India with also 1.3 billion people, but in India, I mean, you have multiple languages, multiple religions, multiple independent states within an India country as the largest democracy in the world. Complex, very complex culturally, intellectually. While China, with 1.3 billion, has a simple Chinese language and a national approach to absolute excellent communications, transportation, and education. That is fairly fascinating. And how is a book publishing industry in China like? And how is a market performance in each of these areas, such as educational, consumer, and professional books? Big difference of China versus the rest of the world is that it is under the control of the state administration for publication and has only officially 583 publishing companies or organizations. Namely, the state administration officially issues ISBN numbers to only those books that have been approved and have been reviewed. Therefore, independent publishers or Western world publishers are not able to function in China. There are about 1,200 creative shops, and I put creative in quotation marks. Namely, they are subcontractors, and they edit, design, and produce books, but the books are finally published by one of the 583 publishing houses. They are also some major government organizations such as the Ministry of Education or the Chinese Academy of Social Sciences, which have publishing units. But those publishing units are part of the 583 official publishing houses in China. The size of the publishing houses 
There are about 70 that achieve sales of 150 million or 250 million. Then there are 70 publishers that have about 100 to, to 50 million. And then 140 publishers of annual sales of about 10 million or $20 million. The largest publishing house employs about 1,500 employees. Then there are the university presses that have maybe 20 or 30 employees. So there's a wide range from huge to small in China as far as publishers are concerned. Okay, so um, with such wide range of publishers in China, how do they distribute their work? Or on the other side of it, how do the customers consume the content? That brings us to a very interesting, I'll put interesting in quotation marks, segment of China. I need to point out to you that China has adopted and adjusted to digital technology at such a rapid rate and total national adoption of the mobile phone. It is a unique country that 98% of the internet users are on mobile phones. The country ranks high in that the 1.3 billion people have an 90% or 91% of internet access via the mobile phone. There are 1.5 billion, with a B, smartphone subscribers projected for 2022. This year, there are 1.05 subscribers on the mobile phone. What's happened is that all communications and all access to information is what I call the mobile mind shift. Namely, there's a complete change in the psychology of the consumer in that all information is available on the mobile phone. All services are available on the mobile phone. In January this year, when I was in Beijing, I wanted to pay the taxi. He would not accept cash. We had to go to the hotel. Doorman paid him with, my, with his mobile phone. And then I paid the doorman in cash because I did not have a mobile phone bank account, which most Chinese now have. So even banking has moved to the mobile phone. And therefore, also, book reading has moved to the mobile phone. It's really amazing to know China is a so mobile dependent and so mobile-driven market in terms of not only publishing, but also, as you mentioned, banking. Then let me take the question to another side of publishing, booksellers. So who are the major booksellers in China and how, how they get the book delivered to the end customers? Uh, <laughs> the interesting thing is that, to answer your last question, Emily, how do they get delivered, is that starting in March of this year, brick-and-mortar bookstores in Beijing started delivering books through Meituan, M-E-I-T-U-A-N, which is one of China's largest online food delivery platforms. So the takeout service joined with the intellectual food and delivers to customers books along with food or just the books. Namely, that the bookstores are able to have sales to the individual customers because 
the dilemma is due to the pandemic, more than 40% of bookstores will expect to have their sales drop by 50% in the first half of this year. There's a slow recovery with online delivery, Baidu, Amazon. The point being that in China, the bookstore sales are actually through Xinhua bookstores, which is a national bookstore throughout the country. There's been a growth up till the end of last year of an average of 14 to 16%. For the first half of this year, the growth has declined to a minus, a loss of 6.7%. And the number of new titles has shrunk from 210,000 titles to only 194,000 titles. The, to come back to bookstores, in, Jing, in China, the national bookstore is called Xinhua, X-I-N-H-U-A, that has 14,000 bookstores in China, with the main store now in Beijing and in, in Shanghai. In Shanghai, Xinhua Book City is a seven-story building which makes available to the customer 108,000 different titles. Not 108,000 books, but 108,000 different titles on the seven floors. In the larger cities, especially for our Western publishers, it's important to note that Xinhua Bookstore has now opened foreign language bookstores in the six major cities of China. Xinhua Bookstore has an overseas subsidiary in New York, San Diego, London, and Manila. Anyone interested in approaching China as a market needs to connect, communicate, and introduce themselves to the Jinghua bookstore chain because each one of them has an English language section in their huge stores. I had a guest group from Jinghua come to New York and I organized a breakfast meeting for them in a Barnes & Noble bookstore, which is our bar largest bookstore chain in New York City. And after the breakfast, they said, where's the rest of the store? Barnes Noble man said, this is a store. That can't be. How many titles do you have in inventory? 2,034. What do you mean? That's one floor in our bookstore in China. We have 100,000 titles active in our bookstores. So it's a very different approach to book selling in China on a grand macro scale in comparison to here in the United States or in England or in Europe. It is so interesting when we hear this comparison about the publishing size. Yes, yes. And it seems that there's lots of opportunities now for uh, Western publishers to enter the Chinese market, uh, especially in the area of uh, digital sales and online publishing. Mm -hmm. So how would you advise or what would your advice be to uh, publishers trying to get into that market? And what, are, what kind of challenges do you see for, um, for rights, translation right sales? Let's first focus on export market. The English language has the more, nothing is easy, but I was gonna say that the easier approach to the Chinese market because most of the education 
of foreign language is English language. Therefore, the subsidiaries of the macro publishers such as Hachette, HarperCollins, Macmillan, Penguin Random House, Oxford University Press, Simon Schuster, John Wiley, Springer, have opened offices, but they can only be marketing, sales, and promotion offices. They are not allowed to publish. And the fascinating factor is that where the major international publishers, such as Bertelsmann or Macmillan or Hachette, have come to the United States and have entered the market through acquisitions. Bertelsmann, over 100 American publishers were acquired. Harper Collins, Collins made the acquisition of Harper and other publishers. China, you cannot enter the market by acquiring Chinese publishers. The only venture possible is a joint venture of publishing translations, but it's a complex, difficult process. It is better to try to first enter the market through export sales generated by a sales promotion publicity office in Beijing, where the largest number of publishers are located. Second largest, Shanghai. So most Western publishers, large or small, start building export sales. Through the export sales, they can then develop translation rights sales. Export sales, two major contacts, Jinghua bookstores, and the second one is China National Publications Import and Export Group Corporation. They're based in Beijing and local address, but those are the two doorways to enter this huge complex market. Once you have been able to establish sales of books and they have a better awareness of beyond the four major megatropolis cities, it is then possible to move into a translation rights mode. The largest market segment, or 32%, are children's books. The second largest, 14%, are literature trade books. 10% is what they call culture, history, poli politics, uh, social structures. 10% is language, and there's one publisher dedicated to foreign language, teaching foreign languages to China, of which English is the single largest language. And it's called the Foreign Language Press. So if there's any publisher in the Western world that teaches languages, the Foreign Language Press is the ideal partner to buy and sell translation rights. A small market of 4% are art, culture, and history. Continues to grow each year. And this year at the Beijing International Book Fair, which is the big annual event, although it was organized and presented in a digital online format, it was possible to sell 13,200 foreign rights agreements during the Beijing Book Fair, which I think is an amazing record, the fact that no person met another person other than online. It was digital sales. Concern of China was that children's books, representing 32% of the right sales, was so successful that more foreign translated children's books were being published in China than local national author and illustrator books. So the State Administration for Press and Publication 
held back ISBN numbers or permission to publish foreign language books for four months than five months until a better balance was achieved between foreign children's books being published in relation to national authors and illustrators books being published. Thank you, Robert, for drawing a big picture in terms of the structure of book publishing in China. And then the next question is kind of following with Duin's question. What are the opportunities you say? I think beyond children's books, I think it's very important to look at nonfiction, history, economics, finance, business administration. Mm -hmm. The dramatic growth of small and medium-sized entrepreneurships in China of small businesses, medium-sized business, especially in the recovery of the pandemic, there's always the interest in how do I manage a startup effectively? How do I finance a startup effectively? How do I manage the people, even though they're very different cultures, effectively? That's one side. Another factor is in the universities, so many students, I don't have the exact statistics for this year, but so many students pre-pandemic and will after pandemic study abroad, they want to continue to study from university textbooks published by the Wileys, the Oxford University Press, the university presses. Fiction is a difficulty, the culture is too far away. Romance, culture too far away. There are three agents, literary agents, based in Shanghai and Beijing, who work as, quote, foreigners, close quote, agents based in China to help Western publishers find the right publisher, not only the right publisher, because there are only 583 to choose from, but which publishing department and which editor would be welcome to do translations. Other than that, I highly recommend attending the Beijing International Book Fair next year, August 30th, or the Shanghai Children's Book Fair, which is held in the spring of the year. Even if they're only online and digital, it's well worth participating in these. And my big recommendation is do not, repeat, do not send full catalogs. Create catalog of selected titles that you feel are appropriate for the China market. I get so discouraged when colleagues from New York or colleagues from Germany or from London come to me and says, what is the problem, Rob Aberdeen? Nobody likes my books. And I said, let me see what you have. They hand me a, a 64 page catalog. And the first three books are American American. It's a kid in a football outfit or the big yellow school bus or it's trade books. It's an American political book. You need to select and create a digital catalog specifically designed to be receptive to the Chinese Asian culture. If you feel forbidden fruit, inappropriate for the culture, you're gonna not be received and therefore you'll never find the book that's on page 14 or 18 or 22 of your catalog. Take 14, 18, and 22 and create a new separate catalog for China in China. So it's, it's very important that the publishers learn their market and understand what's required in that market. 
So you mentioned some of the barriers um, to entry into the Chinese uh, publishing market for the Western publishers. Um, what other barriers do you see for entry into that market? Because we have the government that is actually regulating what's being published, if I understood that correctly. Um, Indirectly. <laughs> okay. So what would be some of the other barriers and, and how can uh, the Western publishers overcome those? I focused on the cultural issues need to also focus on the financial economic issues. Uh, yes, there are 1.3 billion people in China, but you cannot expect China Chinese publishers to pay the same high level advances that we are used to in the Western world. The average list price of a book is maybe $5, $6. If it's online, it's on a subscription basis, spoonful by spoonful over a subscription basis. So when I see publishers at the Beijing Book Fair and they're offended, the Western publishers are offended because the Chinese publisher will not pay $20,000 advance upon signing of a contract. I sit down with a publisher, have you seen the list price? Now take 7% of that. Now multiply that by 5,000 copies. $20,000 advance is beyond the economic and financial reality. Learn to do the mathematics of what is the list price of the Chinese edition, what's seven and a half or 5% or 10% of that, and then come up with a realistic calculation because the list price is not $29 in the United States or $30 or euros in Europe. The average list price is maybe 11, equivalent to $11. Looking at it from an economic point of view, you're right. It's an additional source of revenue for publishers and authors or the creators of the content. And the publishers would have to view it in that way. It may not be as lucrative as um, as in their own market. However, it's a market that they would not enter into otherwise. Yeah, it's especially since our United States or European markets for books is shrinking. Yes, there are 11 books about Trump and his incompetency that have been published, which have 100,000 copy printings, 200,000 copy printings. But beyond these books about Trump, he's going to be gone. And there will not be these 100,000 copy printings, 500,000 copy printings. We as a book publishing industry in the United States and Europe are shrinking. Therefore, we need to look globally for other sources of income. And China is the largest. Contrary to, to Shanghai across the way being Taiwan, Taiwan has the complex Chinese language. So when you sell translation rights to Chinese publisher, simplified Chinese, Taiwan, complex Chinese. But that's a small market in comparison to China. Therefore, my recommendation is focus on China. We really appreciate your idea and thoughts in terms of how publishers could overcome these barriers and develop their business in this new market. Then the next question would be, how do you say companies like Cloptech and your business bench international group could be working at the role in this process that helps publishing companies enter into a new market? 
most of the publishers that I've visited over the last year still have their original home-developed, I call it home-developed software systems. However, they now realize that patching on new royalty system that takes care of, of mobile phone additions, new production software to convert a book file, master file, for mobile phone installment delivery, the patches to the main core system don't function very well anymore. It's time for the publishers to go back to start, do a systems analysis, figure out how many different ways their master file needs to be able to deliver to which subscription system or mobile phone system or online system, the software. How do you measure the financial results? How do you maintain the core accounting financial system for the multitude of books that you've published? And the home development of each system within the 583 publishers, I see really being stressed to the point of, now what do we do? And my recommendation is start knocking on doors and saying, how would you like to address the system of a comprehensive approach rather than patching on systems to the core system? The only challenge for Western software companies is can they handle a 3,500 up to 4,000 alphabet system? We are so used to our Western world with 26 characters versus in China, there is no alphabet. It's symbols, and as a high school student, I need to know at least 3,000 of those symbols to graduate from high school. A university student knows at least five to 7,000 symbols. And it's fascinating to watch somebody write on a mobile phone because they enter a key and then they have a choice of five symbols, which they then choose which one is appropriate for the sentence. It's a different world. It's a complex world, but it functions very efficiently and very effectively if you look at Baidu or Tencent. I think you brought up a, a good point, Robert. A question. Do you think that publishers are too tied to unit sales in the sense of one unit being one print book in, instead of being more open to selling content or pieces of the work? In China, it's made the transition to pieces by mobile phone. That you subscribe to a book through a Spidu service, for example, and you access what I call spoonful by spoonful and read it. And there's one bestseller that was brought to my attention. It is available in 8,000 pieces. And the author is continuing to write the book in response to the feedback he gets online, mobile readership. It's a creative dynamic process. So a printed and bound book, yes, but there's a transition to chapters, pieces of chapters. And you pay each little piece that you nugget or pearl on the necklace, you pay for that pearl, but you're part of the necklace. Yes, that's, that's a good analogy. <laughs> And then the next question is, is there anything else we haven't asked, but you would like to share with us? Just a basic thought is that I took a group of publishers to China 
they were all upset because I insist that we stay in a Chinese hotel. Why don't they have Best Western? How come China doesn't have Hilton's? How come Hilton don't have Sheraton's? What about a Hyatt? I said, are you going to China or are you going to live in your own cocoon? When you go to China, learn the difference, respect the difference, and learn that this country is thousands of years old. I went to the museum in Shanghai and the pieces of jade 4,800 years ago. The United States is an adolescent, a brawling, spoiled brat adolescent in comparison to the culture of China. So we as publishers, we're not steel manufacturers. We produce food for the mind. Therefore, we need to use our mind and not take a cocoon to China. We need to learn to live in China and be part of China, of that rich, deep culture on fast forward. Yes, thank you. I think this is very important, I think, because publishing industry to its essence is an industry of cultural. Mm-hmm. Yes, and I think that's true for wherever you go, wherever you visit, or whatever you do, you know. Um, put aside a little bit what you are used to and adapt to what's happening at the moment. And I totally agree with that. I think it, it is very hard for people to take the first step to get out of their cocoon. But once they take their first step, they're going to say a totally different world. And then the next segment is to my personal favorite, and it is called signature questions. We prepared three fun questions that we would like to have your quick answers. Are you ready to take the first one? Yes, I'm shifting my mind. <laughs> okay, the first one is the best way for you to get relaxed. To listen to Bach cantatas or Russian Cossacks singing, or St. Thomas Choir singing Haydn. I'm into the classical music, vocal as well as instrumental. Hmm. Sounds very soothing. And very different. Yes, it is. Second question, two people that are alive that you would invite to dinner and why? One would be Miss Lin, who's the director of the Beijing International Book Fair, mm -hmm. because in her very quiet, reserved manner, I feel she has done more to open the door for Western publishers in a meaningful way, not a commercial way, but a meaning cultural information way than anyone else that I know. They're professors at Beijing normal universities. They're professors or librarians at Peking University that I know, but it's a one-to-one -one communication of they coming to the United States or to Germany or to Stockholm. But here's a very quiet, small, thin lady who's able to manage the joining of thousands of publishers and 100,000 books for a productive, constructive, not just commercial, but intellectual exchange event. That's number one. Number two is Martin Levin, who died last year. At age 98, he was still active. He started in the magazine business. He moved into the book business. He became president of Times Mirror. He made acquisitions for Times Mirror. He then, at age, when he was forced to retire at age 65, 
he started to go to law school. And he graduated from law school, had some difficulty, so he hired a tutor, got a nice young lady to help me. <laughs> <laughs> and he graduated from law school, and no law firm would take a 70-year-old man. So he made a deal to rent space in one of the large law firms in New York. After He said, if I don't earn my keep in one year, you can throw me out. In the first year, he sold the American Publishers Association's Book Expo to read, multi-million dollar deal. And from there, he did one deal, he did two deals, he did three deals, as well as become an international diplomat. He did more for Moscow Book Fair than any other one I know. So he was truly a bridge builder. And in my slide presentation, I have modern bridge as a last image. And I keep looking at that image because over my desk, we need to learn as publishers how to build new bridges to reach different market segments. So those are the two individuals. Yes, and that was a very interesting story and inspiring as well. Yes, mm -hmm. we really appreciate the answer and the stories behind them. And the next question is, uh, this one, we are really excited about this. Could you teach us one of your favorite phrases in either Chinese language, German, or English language, or other language you are good at? I'll give you an English one, and I'll give you a German one, since Klopotek. Always turn a negative situation into a positive new development. Don't send the lawyers. Go and look, go and learn. They told me I could not start a Spanish language publishing program at Harper. It became the most successful Spanish college textbook publisher in four years. Can't be done. What do you mean it can't be done? Open the door. Winston Churchill had a statement. The positive thinker sees the invisible, feels the intangible, and achieves the impossible. Confrontation with tariffs is idiocy, is incompetence. And finally, for my German, having been born in Leipzig, Germany, I'll say, Unmöglich ist ein Wort, das es nicht in meinem Leben gibt. Für mich ist unmöglich, unmöglich. Wow, this is a long one. I was thinking to learn it from you. Then what does it mean first? Impossible. The word impossible is not in my vocabulary. Okay. Don't tell me something's impossible. When they do, that's when I get started. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Thank you so much. Yeah, we really appreciate this beautiful and powerful phrases. Gracias. <laughs> Thank you so much for being with us and having this uh, really great conversation. Shichi. Get this episode delivered directly to you by subscribing to Cooptech Publishing Radio in whatever podcasting app you are listening to right now. Or you can have this podcast delivered to your inbox by subscribing to Cooptech's newsletter. You can get the link from the episode notes. It's easy and free to sign up. This episode was made possible by an international collaboration. Luna Tang and Dwayne Paris are co-hosts and producers. Nella Cooptech is publishing director. Marianne Belling, Marketing Coordinator, Bjorn Brewer, Music Designer, 
Angie Heinrich, art designer, Stefan Kaufer, editorial reviewer, George Logan, outreach liaison, and Mark Wintle, technology support. We would like to hear from you. Tell us what's going on with your projects or business on Twitter, LinkedIn, or just email us at podcast at clubtech.com. This is Clubtech Publishing Radio. I'm Dwayne Paris. I'm Luna Tang. Thank you so much for listening.